I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. I'm Callum Jones. This week, the FTSE 100 broke through 7,500 points for the first time and then slumped back as the pound strengthened above 130 against the dollar for the first time since the autumn. Here to discuss all this and more is Alex Ralph, our business correspondent, Martin Waller, editor of the Tempest column, and Emily Gosden, our energy editor. Now, Emily, the FTSE was really pushed up by the oil price this week, Brent crude peaking just north of $52 per barrel. What's been driving it higher? We'd seen oil prices fall back quite heavily to below $50 a barrel. Um, And then things started to pick up again towards the back end of last week with some slightly more encouraging signs out of US inventory data. And the thing that really drove it on Monday was this announcement from Russia and Saudi that they had agreed to, in their words, do whatever it takes to try and get the market back into balance. And they've said they've agreed that OPEC needs to extend its current uh, production curb agreement by a further nine months, which would take it through to March 2018. So there was quite a bit of optimism on the back of that, driving the oil price higher. And all this comes ahead of next week's meeting. Absolutely. So they're meeting in in Vienna next week, and that's where they have to do the tough bit of persuading all the other countries in OPEC to sign up to what Saudi thinks is a good idea. So Saudi is obviously by far the biggest producer in OPEC, but there are a lot of other countries who may be somewhat hesitant of committing to a full nine-month extension. Iraq in particular may have some concerns over whether it can commit to that. And then there's also questions about all the uh, non-OPEC or NOPEC countries. So Russia has obviously suggested it backs an extension, but questions over whether all the others will necessarily sign up to. Do you think this is the start of some great resurgence or does that all lean on the result of next week? Some great resurgence in the oil price back above $60 per barrel. What do you think? You know, it's always a, a dangerous thing to start <laughs> predicting the oil price, but I'm, I'm not convinced that we're going to see sustained prices above $60. I suspect if they do manage to confirm a deal next week, you might well see a bit of a short term short-term rally, but I doubt we'll see prices sustained above $60 uh, for much of this year. I think the market is actually assuming that we will get an extension. It's probably been assuming that for some time. Um, so if they fail to agree, we'll, I think, see quite a dip in prices. Um, if they agree, a bit of a short-term rally, but I think most of the market is really expecting prices to remain within a range of sort of $50 to $60 over the rest of the year. Certainly, if you look at the International Energy Agency survey of um, oil execs, which they published this week, you've got, I think, something like 80% of them forecasting $50 to $60 oil this year. 
Martin, a new record highs, a nine-day winning streak. Why is the FTSE doing so well this year? Until today, of course. Of course. Which is, I think, largely, I mean, everyone's talking about Trump and political confusion in the White House and whatever on Capitol Hill. I mean, this is really a proxy for the for Sterling, given how much of the FTSE is earned outside this country and is sourced in dollars. Um, you'd expect any, any rise in the, to 130 in the price of Sterling to hit the FTSE. It's been going the other way ever since the referendum and Sterling collapsed um, or fell very sharply. Um, I don't think this is particularly relevant in terms of the actual metrics of the market. And I suppose it's much more closely aligned to earnings season as well. Well, funny enough, I was talking to someone the other day who accused me of something I have not been accused of for a very long time indeed, uh, which is being optimistic about the market. <laughs> uh, I actually, six months ago, I felt the market looked very badly overvalued um, on earnings terms, in terms of, of potential uh, risk. Look at the last reporting season, look at the 2016 reporting season, and particularly the Q1s. There haven't been any real horrors. There haven't really been any massive dividend cuts. There haven't been any any particularly awful things happening. We've seen three things, which I think are u- useful straws in the wind. BP, one. Shell, two. Vodafone. All high-yielding income stocks. It's pretty obvious BP won't cut the dividend. Ditto Shell. Vodafone's dividend is now being covered for the first time for several years uh, by free cash flow. That means that in a market which is driven, in my personal view, by the sort of income you can get because you can't get anywhere else. This is a cliche. I've been saying this for months and months, uh, probably years. Um, if you can get 4 or 5% yield or more than that from relative blue chip companies that are not going to cut their dividend, like BP, Shell, Vodafone, whatever, um, and you can't get anywhere else, um, why do we think the market is being supported? It's a straight income market. Alex, you were you were still covering covering the markets a year ago at the time of the European referendum at a time when people were predicting Armageddon if Britain voted Brexit and that there was going to be a huge stock market slump. I looked it up on June 23rd last year. The FTSE was at 6,338. Now, of course, it crossed earlier this week 7,500. This really wasn't what anyone was predicting, was it? No, I mean, casting our minds back, it, it had that knee-jerk sell-off mm. after the vote because no one really saw that coming. Um, apart from voters and then um, it rallied and it defied all expectations it bounced back very quickly and um, it then got another leg up on um, Trump's election in November um, and since then you know some analysts and, and some traders have been saying that it's been due a fall because it looks like it's overheating a bit. Um, Martin? The knee-jerk reaction after the referendum was ludicrous. There was some stupid evaluations as, as I said at the time and the company's looking very cheap indeed. I don't think the rally thereafter was anything particularly to do with fundamentals. What I think we're now seeing is a shift into fundamentals again. We are seeing people saying, well, actually, let's value this market on on what what we think it's worth. And I will again go back to my point about income, and that's what it's all about. Sorry to repeat myself, but that's, that's where we are. Well, the index surged in the first half of the week, but then fell back. Before we discuss why, let's listen to a clip recorded a few days ago in Connecticut. Look at the way I've been treated lately especially by the media. No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. You can't let them get you down. You can't let the critics and the naysayers get in the way of your dreams. 
President Trump there speaking on Wednesday and I suppose he would say that the critics and the naysayers have been out in force this week following reports that he tried to influence a federal investigation into his former national security advisor. Talk of impeachment has very much hit the markets over the past few days, Alex. Is the Trump bump over now? I think it's probably premature to say um, the bump is over. I think sometimes um, markets are looking for a reason to try and trigger a sell-off and, and sometimes there are these sort of catalysts where you know people can sort of engineer a squeeze or you know or some sort of profit taking um, and it looked to me as though that was partly what was happening um, uh, this week and I, yeah I'd be surprised if we were to see a sustained sort of sell-off over the coming weeks. Martin you mentioned obviously that um, many of the FTSE 100 companies were reporting dollars how, how much an impact can American issues like this have on the FTSE? It's less that. It's more a question of whether or not the infrastructure plans that Trump has talked about, which are very good for an awful lot of British companies, like Ashton would be a great example. Plant our firm gets most of its, its, its earnings out of the US. Um, the other companies of that sort who are tied to infrastructure, and they just can let me, Ashton shares had a bad time this week because they're just tied to the notion that he's spent a lot of money. And if he isn't, then they're going to fall. That, that has more really, I think, to do with fundamentals. I, I, I just think anyone sitting here trying to predict what the... US political scene or the economy will look like in six months time is frankly wasting their time. There's a, I don't know why we're all here then, to be frank, but um, I, 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 we're, we're here because you have to try to do that. But I mean, it's a bit like Brexit. I keep being asked what will happen after Brexit and what do corporates think. The ones I talk to all say the same thing. We haven't the faintest idea. We continue going from day to day and we'll see what that landscape looks like in, t- in two, three, four years time. I think the concern with with that sell-off that we saw was that, you know, the deeper that Trump gets dragged into this, um, the more distracted he'll be from, you know, driving through what will be very controversial political reform. Uh, and that's what the market's afraid of, that his, his what he was elected to, to achieve will be sidelined by, you know, Russia. Emily, on a slightly different note, energy stocks have also been pretty volatile over recent weeks, moving away from American politics, focusing on British politics as the Conservatives continue to help these price caps on the election campaign. Do you think that the price caps have now been priced in now into energy stocks or do you think there might be more action there on the stock market after the election? Well, it's an interesting time to ask that question because we had the manifesto a few hours ago and uh, we've seen Centrica shares up about 4% since the manifesto was published um, because it appears that the manifesto wording is somewhat weaker than what Theresa May had been talking about last week. So I think the market had been pricing in a pretty bearish scenario. Um, People have been looking at working out £100 off bills for all standard variable customers and coming out with some pretty scary numbers on what that might do to Centrica and SSE. Um, So I think they probably have been pricing that in. The hint today that it might not be quite that severe or leaving a bit of wriggle room for something uh, less severe has has seen the the stocks rally a little bit. So I think it's going to be a a bumpy time ahead for probably a good six months or so until we actually get the detail of this firmed up. Martin, what do you make of the energy companies and how they're looking for investors at the moment? I differentiate between those companies like SSC, which are reported this week, which has fairly slender dividend cover, and those companies like National Grid has quite wide dividend cover, and they're all reporting this week. And we will look at the two water companies next week, which is really interesting to, to, to I mean, United Utilities and Seven Trent will report next week. And these are big dividend stocks. I hate to keep going back to the subject, but it is rather important. Um, and I would differentiate between those that are cable, capable of paying dividends going forward and those that may have a little bit of difficulty. I don't think that's rather more significant than any political moves, which won't kick in till 18, 19? We think 2018, but... Well, anyone's guess. Sure, anyone's guess. I, I don't think anyone can possibly say. 
Also reporting next week will be Marks and Spencers. We get full year figures, which have been uh, people have been looking forward to for quite a while. Alex, it's quite hard to believe that Steve Rowe has now been chief executive for more than a year. What are the main challenges for him right now? Well, it's still the challenge that he he faced since um, he was promoted to the top job, which is to basically turn around M&S's long underperforming general merchandise business, which which, which mainly is the, is the clothing business, which um, has been struggling for, for a number of years and, and a number of chief executives have failed to, to turn it around. Um, he set out some ideas uh, towards the back end of last year, um, which wasn't particularly surprising. It was to prioritise the food business, to grow that and to sort of scale back the clothing business. And um, the market will be looking for an update on, on the sort of operator or operational progress that they've made on that so far. Martin, what do you make of the business? I've been a long-term bear of Marks and Spencers. Um, I don't like where they are in the market. They are a very, very, very pricey food retailer with an underperforming clothing arm attached. Um, I don't think I want to be in either of those areas in the current market, especially if we're seeing a squeeze on consumer spending. Um, the companies that will suffer will be highly priced food companies, and the ones that will do well will be low priced food companies like Aldi and Little. And this pro- process will just continue. As to the clothing I'm, I range, I mean, I haven't been in one of their stores for 20 years. I was in one the other day, and it was practically a bit shocking in terms of the general quality of, of merchandise and, and, and the competence, the retailing competence I saw. I was very surprised. Are there any high street stocks that you would recommend buying at the moment? There are some. I wouldn't be generally buying high street stocks linked to consumer spending any more than I'm buying pub stocks linked to consumer spending. I, I like Dunelm. It's a low cost. It's the, it's the Aldi and Lidl of a homeware sector. And not well known in the city because they've got virtually nothing south of Watford. And they're increasingly increasing stores and they weren't really studied much. They, they've got um, a good management. They've got a good record. Um, anything you can buy that's serving the value end of the market, and you can't buy Aldi and Lidl in this country on this market, not quoted here, uh, would be my personal choice. Anything at the top end, I would personally avoid. That's about all we've got time for this week. Do subscribe on iTunes to get a new episode every seven days. In the meantime, log on to thetimes.co.uk forward slash business for news and analysis each day. My thanks to Emily Gosden, Alex Ralph and Martin Waller, and to you for listening. 
The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.